The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Christ is risen. Can you hear it? Thump, thump. Thump, thump. The beating heart of the living gospel. Just as our hearts pump life-giving blood through our bodies, the great good news that you have just spoken is the beating heart that pumps life-giving faith through our bodies and souls. And the opposite is also true. If Christ is not risen, then we are without faith and without hope and without God in the world. Precisely because so much is at stake. Precisely because everything is. Our life and our hope and our future and everything that we cling to. Because it all hinges on the fact that God is the God who doesn't just make sick things or sick people well. He makes dead things live again. We are going to spend the next seven weeks basking, sun-tanning our souls beneath that singular truth that Christ is risen indeed. We're going to pour over and pour our hearts onto the most extensive treatment of the resurrection in the entire Bible, Paul's 58-verse chapter on the resurrection of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we do this, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to present this apologia. That's an old Latin word for a legal defense. And by this legal defense of the resurrection, the Apostle Paul means by the fire of the Holy Spirit to convince your heart and mine of what we know to be true. What by the Spirit's fire we know to be true. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end I will stand upon the earth and I myself will see him with my own two eyes. We will bask in that truth and we will grow in the power of the resurrection to live lives that are more and more with the new lives that Christ has won for us and to be able to to proclaim and to live and proclaim what the Lord has done. Are you ready to go into this amazing courtroom of God and be convinced more than you ever have? Open up your worship folders and listen, my dear people, and I know I have some attorneys with me this morning, to a rousing opening statement by the Apostle Paul. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, he says, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Houston, we have a problem. The Corinthian Christians were on the one hand, oh my goodness, were they a blessed church? Were they an extremely talented and gifted church? Their spiritual gifts had gifts. And yet, this same group of people were taking a bone saw with their unloving hearts and unloving words and actions, and they were slowly dismembering the body of Christ to which they belong. You ask yourself, well, how can, how can Christian people treat each other this shabbily and this poorly and do this to one another? And of course, the answer ultimately is sin, but, but there is an amazing way of looking at this that the Apostle Paul gives us, no less, in this resurre resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what he says in verse 12. He says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Verbally, doctrinally, some of the people in Corinth were denying the truth that God can and does raise the dead and has in fact raised his own son. But regardless of the doctrinal position, that the teaching on which they stood, whether Jesus was risen or whether he was not, many in the church in Corinth were living as practical skeptics. They were living as if Jesus had not risen indeed. Jesus' resurrection means that we are forgiven. Jesus' resurrection means that, that we are not our own. We have been bought at a price, and we belong to the living Lord of the universe. Well, if you live unlovingly and immorally, and you don't serve the Lord out of love for what he has done for you, that's, that's living as if none of that is true, isn't it? That's living as if, as if he's still in the tomb. And so you have this Christian congregation, believe it or not, that with their lives, after the sermon, they would be confessing, I believe in the fact that there is no forgiveness of sins, there is no resurrection of the dead, and there is no life everlasting. Amen. Now, I know what you're probably saying to yourself right now. Pastor Dave or Pastor Salinas, if you prefer... You got some explaining to do, Lucy. Can you please tell us how in the world a group of Christian people denies the one truth, the one truth that makes them Christian? If he is not risen, there is no forgiveness and no faith, no giving of the Holy Spirit. There is no church. How can they do that? Well, this is... This is as best as I can piece this together. So the, do you all know a little bit about the city of Corinth? The city of Corinth is situated in a very strategic, very interesting place. It is situated on a narrow isthmus that is connecting the two big parts of Greece. And the citizens of Corinth, along with the citizens of Sancria, had developed this marvelous and genius plan of, of transporting ships over that isthmus instead of having them sail around. And so... 
Corinth became a very wealthy, a very populated, a very world city because it would save the ships all of this time and money instead of sailing around. Well, what you had as the ships were getting passed along over that isthmus was a bunch of sailors that were just sitting there waiting, doing nothing. And then somebody came up with a bright idea. Hey, why don't we build a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love and fertility, and hire a thousand shrine prostitutes? And so you can imagine, yeah, it was like that. A bunch of sailors and that. And so the city of Corinth became a hotbed of immorality. And on top of that, in that town, reason was king. Aristotle's logic ruled the day. That, that only what you see, only what you can touch, only what you can verify through repeated experimentation in your five senses, that's the only thing that's real. That's the only thing that's true. Everything else is just mind-numbing myth meant to keep you from doing what you really want to do. The citizens in the church of Corinth they were coming out of that environment spiritually, but they were still living in that environment. Well, come on. If you're getting bombarded with this daily, that's got to have an impact on you, doesn't it? Of course. So it's no surprise that, that it wouldn't take long for them to, to be numbed to the sins that were all around them and, and to be led astray little by little with all of this philosophy that was bombarding them daily day in and day out. Am I right? Can you kind of see with me a little bit of the striking parallels between first century Corinth and the city and the spirit of times in which we live? I think, I think first century OCC, old Corinth city, could well as be 21st century NYC. No? Ugh! <laughs> So we are reminded just this past week of the big, wonderful, beautiful, but bad city, too, in which we live with our recent theft. And I don't have to tell many of you the kind of immorality that runs rampant along this very street with, in, on which we worship the Lord our God. And secularism and skepticism is as alive and well, maybe perhaps more than ever, this day. And, and I'm not surprised, are you? Because the devil, he knows what we know. That if you take out the linchpin of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus from our faith, the whole thing topples like a house of cards, like, like the temple of Jerusalem. And so it should shock nobody that in our day and in our age, when we proclaim the resurrection and when we shout aloud, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, you're going to have a lot of people <laughs> snickering out there. The same type of reaction we're going to get that Paul got when he preached the resurrection in Athens. Luke tells us that when he did, some people sneered at him. And you can just look on Twitter, a flutter with all kinds of sneers that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. The fact that we are situated in that environment, it makes it a stunning miracle to me that any of us are here and any of us are just proclaiming loudly and clearly, he is risen, he is risen indeed. But I know this to also be true, that there is no way we can live and move and have our being in this kind of environment and not be affected sometimes, and we are. Sometimes with those blaring horns that are our mouths as they speak, words that are not filled with love. 
Sometimes as we, as we have our secret love affairs in the dark night with our own favorite sins, sins that we, that we can't give up because we don't really want to, when we, when we have those nagging doubts and those fears and that wondering in our hearts, is he really out there and is he really for me? Sometimes practically, we confess with our own lives. I believe in the fact that there is no forgiveness of sins and there is no resurrection of the dead and no life everlasting. Amen. But I stand before you today as a spokesman for the risen Lord Jesus and I am here with one goal in mind, to convince your heart of what you know of what you have proclaimed, of what you believe, of what you stand on. That Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And, and you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Salinas, how can you be so sure? Well, because, because you, have, you have a man of sound and of competent mind, and yet a man who at one time was one of the biggest skeptics of all, dedicating his entire life to silencing Christians from proclaiming that glorious truth that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, he comes and he lays before us a case, a defense of the resurrection like no other, like it could never be made. And he says it, brothers and sisters, listen to me. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so people sitting in the jury box before the tribunal of heaven, listen once again to this rousing defense from the Apostle Paul. And don't you ever doubt, but believe. And don't you ever be afraid, but you be glad. He really is risen, risen indeed. And what is the first, what is the first evidence, exhibit A, that Paul presents before the court? It's your own believing heart. He tells the Corinthians, the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. There it is. There he is. The risen Christ. Because the gospel with the beating heart of the resurrection of Jesus, has come and has washed over the hearts of all of those people, and the Holy Spirit has taken flight, and He has breathed into their souls the breath of life, and they became living beings. And they received what Paul preached to them, not like just the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God. And they received it with a sincere trust and with this inexpressible joy. The only reason the Christian church exists in human history is because Christ is risen, he is the ruler of his church, and he has sent his Holy Spirit. There are too many enemies and too many things against that that would make that an impossibility were Christ still in the grave. You and I would not be here, but we are here. We are here because he has risen, he has sent his Spirit, and we too, against all odds, against all unbelief, against the devil himself and all spiritual death, we sit here and inexplicably, but powerfully, we believe, we confess, we have received the great good news as it has been preached to us, he is risen indeed, and there is in our hearts a beating, inexpressible joy. Then Paul proclaims, then he, he calls to the, to the witness stand, fulfilled 
prophecy. And he says that, that Christ died according to the scriptures. And then he says it again, that Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so this is this very simple but sublime truth. Everything that happened to Jesus, God had promised centuries earlier. And the moment that God did that, he put his own character and his own honor on the line. Would God really be that merciful? Would God really, could he be that mighty to save? Would he be that true to a promise that would cost him so much? And when Jesus walked this world, he gave a big thumbs up to that because he himself prophesied, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and he must be killed and he must be raised on the third day. Why must he? Because God is true, though every person is a liar. And so this is it. When you hear that he is risen, you want to hear what the angel said. Just as he said, just as he said centuries earlier, after the suffering of my servant, he will see the light of life and he will justify many. And so we have been told this before it happened, so when it does happen, we will believe the truth, the fact, the reality. He's risen indeed. And then finally, Paul presents and he calls to the witness stand the very eyewitnesses that saw the risen Savior. Paul says that, that Peter was there and he saw him, Cephas, and then that the, the 12 and 500 other brothers who were still living at the time, Paul wrote this letter. They were still living when he was proclaiming this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know we have an, an attorney here today, but apart from like DNA evidence, what is one of the most credible, valid witness, uh, evidences that we can present? Is that not eyewitness testimony, especially if it is of people of competent minds, people who have, are ethical and they have no reason, no motivation to lie or to deceive. Those are precisely the witnesses that the Apostle Paul calls to the witness stand. Remember, in Peter, you had a guy who denied Jesus three times, who was too scared to go out of his own little room, up, uh, out of that upper room on that very Easter night before he had seen the risen Savior. And Thomas, you had a man who out loud said what all of the 12 apostles would have said had they been in his sandals. Unless I see him, unless I take my hands and put them into his wounds and plunge my hand into his side and feel his spleen with my own hands, I will not believe it. So you had men who were not prone to deception. They were not about to believe in the Easter bunny. They had no reason to fabricate this kind of a lie. Or, or, or make this thing up because it was putting their own life at risk. And yet these men risked their lives, and many of them lost their lives, confessing the truth. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What's the only explanation for that? It's true. With the Apostle Paul... I want to rest my case for today. So, in the case of Christ v. Stone, what say you? Is the verdict out yet? Jerry, have you reached a verdict? Is Christ risen? Amen. Alleluia. Are you forgiven? You are forgiven indeed. You are more than forgiven. You are exonerated.
You have been found innocent of all crimes and of all sin because this is what Jesus did. This is how it is. He took your sins upon himself. And so it's as if you never did it. He did. Will you live and not die? Yes, indeed. You will not die. You will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord, because that is what death is. You will never be separated from that. You will live and you will proclaim what the Lord has done. Are you safe? And are you loved more than the rainbows? More than, more than all the tea in China? Yes, you are indeed. Listen. You are not left in the hands of of chance or in the hands of the dead presidents that are in your wallets and in your purses. Your own name is carved into the hands of a living God. And you are in the hands, the scarred but almighty hands of a Savior who conquered sin and death all for you. And every single day, you awake to mercies that are new and exciting, mercies from a loving, a faithful, and a forgiving Father. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting? Indeed, you do. Because He is risen, and that gospel has come to you And this is where you take your stand. And you are saved. Court is adjourned. Shh. Wait. I hear it. Thump, thump. Thump, thump. You are risen. Risen indeed.